welcome back to Glittering a Turd. I'm going to start by saying thanks for being here, um, but also thanks if you've already followed or subscribed to this podcast and therefore are the first to know when a new episode drops. If that is not you, may I suggest you sort this out immediately? Thank you. Um, So today you'll hear, I think, quite a special chat between me and actor Miranda McKeon. Um, I was basically really keen to speak to Miranda as soon as I heard about her breast cancer diagnosis at the age of 19. Now, obviously, lots of people get breast cancer and because of the work I do, I could speak to young people with this disease all day long. But there is something pretty special about how Miranda talks about navigating life during and after the diagnosis. Um, And I'm weirdly now so invested in how she will integrate her turd into her life. Um, Obviously, I was diagnosed at a young age too. And perhaps, I don't know, maybe I'm seeing something of myself in her or I'm trying to connect to young Chris somehow. I don't know. Who knows? Um, But I think you two will get a lot from hearing what Miranda has to say. I was also really keen to hear what it's like sharing this experience with a large young audience who are all working out what life is really all about. Um, I think it's also kind of poignant to be listening to this episode today when I'm about to head off for more chemo and then from tomorrow I'm going to be in London having treatment to my brain to zap multiple tiny new tumours that I've just found out about. Um, Maybe I needed a reminder today that I'm very much not the only one dealing with a cancer turd right now. Anyway, um, worth me saying that in this episode you will hear me talk a bit more than usual since I can obviously relate to what Miranda's turd is. Um, Oh, and... Lady Marmalade is also way more vocal than usual too. Sorry, apologies. Um, Anyway, on that note, here's the chat. Enjoy. So today I'm speaking to 20-year-old actor Miranda McKeon, who is probably best known for starring in the Netflix series Anne with an E. She is a writer. She is also a bit of a social media starlet with over... 1 million followers on Instagram and is also currently studying at the University of Southern California which sounds ever so sunny and bright compared to the very wet and grey and dark weather I'm experiencing here in Cornwall. Um, Is it sunny? Is it lovely? (laughs) It is. It is at the moment. I, I am currently missing my east coast weather though i must admit i'm i love the fall and so it's a bit seasonless but i really can't complain because there's palm trees and sun everywhere all the time yeah autumn the changing of the leaves and all that on the east is is quite spectacular isn't it so it is. but you're not going to miss the bleak cold of the deep dark winter are you no that that i'm okay to take a break from for a few years um what are you actually studying at the moment Um, I'm studying communications and I have a minor in documentary filmmaking, which is kind of random. I think when picking majors, I just picked whatever felt that it called to me most at the moment. And then it's kind of weird because I feel like I have my whole world of like already working in a sense or personal projects outside of school where I'm like, how is my communications degree translating over? But I am learning quite a lot so cool okay right so I don't want to introduce your turd because I don't know what turd you're actually going to say today um I have a feeling I might know but it's (laughs) never guaranteed so um if you wouldn't mind introducing what turd you want to discuss today yeah well I'll start off by saying that the podcasting listeners or whoever is listening to this can't see that I'm holding up your book right now but I think the concept of a turd. When I first found your account, I just, I laughed and it brought me immense joy in the way that I resonated so much with it. 
glittering a turd, like that is, that is it. That is it. It makes so much sense. I have a turd that I am glittering at the moment. It feels like home in my heart. So I want to thank you for coming up with this brilliant concept. And I digress. Yeah, my my turd is, surprise, surprise, Chris, a year, over a year ago. So last summer in June, I was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma. So stage three hormone positive breast cancer. What that means is that I completed probably like around 10 months of um, active treatment. So I did like eight rounds of chemo and radiation and had a double mastectomy um, reconstruction. And now I'm on a couple different medications for two, five, 10 more years. I um, started that whole thing with freezing eggs and may do that again in the future. And my turd, it's interesting because that's definitely my lump sum turd. Like that's my big turd. That's like my big fat turd. But I've noticed that the turd's a little leaky. Like I don't mean to get graphic with it, but it's definitely a little leaky. Um, So still dealing with glittering its trail um, and I think I, I will be for some time. I don't know how you define this in turd language, but it's like either a leaky turd or like multiple turds, but I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at. I think what I've really been so compelled by in what you share is this aftermath side of the turd and it's the ongoing turdiness of your turd Mm -hmm. that I think is so often not really fully explained you don't really fully expect it because no one really shares no one really knows no one has any guarantee of what that after cancer life looks like and I think that's what you have really delved into and from such a young person's perspective which I think is so needed I believe when you were told you had breast cancer, so you were 19 years old. Yeah, correct. But yeah, I mean, your chance of getting it were one in a million. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're quite special. Quite special. I know. I remember when I was diagnosed, I think I went into like, I don't even know what mode I was in, but sometimes I was like totally emo. And then sometimes I was feeling really silly. And I remember sitting there with my parents and being like, you guys don't understand. Like, I am the chosen one. Like, this <laughs> this has been, I've been hit with this magical, weird stick on the head. And I have now been chosen to be this random statistic. Um, it just felt so odd. And yeah, so strange. Yeah, and meanwhile, they're like, it's great that you can look at it like that, honey, but this is the worst fucking awful shit ever. Um, But you, before that then, because, I mean, I get asked this all the time as well, and I I think it's really important to um, kind of explain to people how you got that diagnosis in the first place and how you discovered your lump. Um, So I was at my beach house with a bunch of my friends I was just coming home from my freshman year of college. So we would go there and party and act like we were back in high school. So fun. So we had some beverages and I went to the bathroom and I was doing what I call a boob scoop. So like readjusting my boobs in my top, you know, got to get a little leave moment. That's what I felt at the time. I brushed across a lump and immediately like red flag went up and I was like what is this it felt so foreign in my body like even like I can like still feel it now if that makes sense like I remember exactly what it feels like I was drunk and I immediately started sobbing and I pulled my friend Megan into the room into the bathroom 
um, because she hadn't, she was always better at science than I was. And she got A's in our science classes. So this is the kind of credentials that we were working with at the time. And I was sobbing. I was like, Megan, I have breast cancer. Something's wrong. And she was like, okay, Marina, hang on. First of all, you're drunk. Second of all, you don't have breast cancer. So like chill the fuck out. So we started doing some Googling and we Googled for probably an hour before deciding it was all fine because my age and the placement and I don't know, the set list of um, random factors that we had deemed important. The next day I called my mom and I was like, I found a lump. We scheduled an appointment, went in a week later, got it checked out by my childhood primary care doctor. She said, get a mammogram. A mammogram and an ultrasound did those. The look on the nurse's face, like they do this all day long. I was like, seriously, guys, you can't even keep it in. They looked really worried. So they ordered a biopsy. The biopsy results came back positive, but they had originally told me it was, they had called them nuisance nodules, which I think is a made up term. They had said it's very common for women in their late teens to have dense lumpy breasts and that it was nothing. And I was like, okay. So then I flew to San Francisco where I was going to become a little farmer for like two weeks doing a solo trip. And when I touched down in San Francisco, turned on my messages and my doctor was like texting me in abbreviations. She was like, hi Marina, call me when you land using the little you, like not Y-O-U, but like just the letter U. And I was like, that is so strange. What doctors text using slang? And so I called her back. I was still on the plane and she gave me my biopsy results. And I started crying on the plane, called my mom in on the phone call, then turned my butt around and flew home the same day. I mean, I guess you weren't really expecting a the result that in that moment and b for the results to be bad so you didn't plan ahead to think well I need to be with someone at that time right yeah I mean you know even if you are with someone it's still pretty shocking news so but you flew home and you were with your family pretty pretty quickly right yes yes okay I read so you're you're at stage three so that means it has spread to your lymph nodes but was contained in your breasts and you had breast surgery right but I like you've said uh you wrote somewhere I don't I don't remember where but you wrote that your doctor said to you your cancer is your cancer was that reassuring to hear at the time yeah and that he also said that the stage doesn't really define you yeah I think that was extremely reassuring because immediately people want to know the stage as soon as you give them a diagnosis. Oh, what stage is it? Because mm-hmm. in um, pop culture, we think of staging as ranking and it's a scale of completely fine to absolutely horrible. And um, people decide that they know everything about stage one, two, three, and four. I don't know everything about those stages, which I don't know if I really even believe in. Um, I don't know. That's an argument that could be made. I just threw that idea out and I will explore it in the future. Actually, the way it was described to me is that it's like the individual size of the tumor calculated with the width calculated with the distance from one part to another or something like that sounded all too mathematical. And so I decided that like I could just individualize it and interpret whatever stage they gave me as um, however I wanted to interpret it. For people that don't know, but if it's spread to, if you're stage three, that is deemed, um, it means it has spread to your lymph nodes. And if it's in your lymph nodes, it has a, high, a potentially higher risk of then spreading to somewhere else because it's already found a way to get beyond the initial primary place, which is the breast, further to lymph nodes, and it could travel through the lymph or the blood to another place and settle somewhere. But that's not guaranteed because nothing in life is ever guaranteed. But just, I guess, knowing that information 
well it then uh it then meant that you had to go on some fairly hefty drugs that are preventative drugs so that it doesn't happen and i guess sometimes you're in a luckier position where they say no we got it all you don't need to have any more drugs da 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 wonderful but you're not in that boat sadly and you do have to do it but there's every chance that you can prevent it from spreading i guess you hold on to that yeah absolutely i think you described that in a in a great way sometimes it's hard to translate mm. some of the medical jargon i feel like my personal experience and i'm sure um, you maybe feel similarly is that I sometimes joke that I feel like I've been through like two years of med school just in the yeah. past like year. Absolutely. And sometimes I sit in a clinic opposite a newly like fresh out of uni medical student or oncologist who's just decided to do oncology. And um I don't, you know, I you can't argue with the commitment. You can't argue with the hours and hours of learning that they've got been through. But to compare their textbook knowledge to my 13 years of experiencing this disease, it's it's not comparable. And sometimes I think if we could just mash the two together, I think we'd create some super brilliant, knowledgeable beast. But us separately is just, it's an oxymoron almost. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I just wish we could collide the two brains together. I, yeah, so then obviously you're with your family and um, you're dealing with this together with them, but you already had a rather large audience and a a lot of adoring fans who I guess Mm -hmm. wanted to know what was going on with you or you were keen to share with them what was going on with you. How did you then think to approach that? Mm. I think it was an instinct that I had because right off the bat, I knew that I, I just felt it. Like I just felt that I wanted to share it. I think I, I think something cool about this younger, fresh generation is that we kind of skipped the phase of cancer being something that's like, a shameful buzzword that's meant to be kept a secret. And I think some people in my parents' generation and older um, still kind of hang on to that and feel like it's something that implies causation um, and self-inflicted, I don't know, occurrence or something. Um, And I don't even think I went there at all. And so right off the bat, I knew that it was something I wanted to share. Also, um, I I was already posting like, I don't know, fun stuff once in a while. And I was consistent enough where I was like, okay, if I am about to lose all my hair and I guess I could probably get away with a pretty good wig, but if I go dark online for 10 months, it would just be kind of weird. And I didn't want to hold it in. Like I didn't see any benefit keeping that to myself. I don't know what justice or good that would do for me, for anyone around me, for my family. I, I've always been a more vocal person. I could just talk, 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 talk until whenever. I've especially really found that voice in the past year. I would not have been able to convey my thoughts in decipherable manner on a podcast like two years ago. But now it's one of my favorite things to do is have these conversations, meet new people, um, explore with curiosity, etc. And I'm glad that I shared. Some days I'm like, fuck this. I literally wish no one knew because I don't know for a lot of different reasons, but other times I connect with people online, i.e. Chris, and it's one of the most like beautiful, magical, glittery connections. I don't know how I even considered for a moment holding it in. And I know it's done a lot of good, I, I hope I can make some strides in really implementing some real change in 
um, encouraging young women to get to know their bodies. I think that's something that I've been coming more into like stressing because it's so fucking important. It's crazy. And there's no harm in it. People are literally just weirded out by their physical skin sacks for no reason. It's like, we're in these things for however many years. Let's just like know them by touch. It's not that fucking weird. I love that you call them skin sacks. That's so great. Um, Not a term that I've actually heard that much and I should have by now. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. It, It is... I mean, I've you know I've seen a plethora of reasons why people find it a challenge to go there sometimes because there is so much fear around the finding some of something that we need to dispel and and um, we need to encourage the positives around an early diagnosis a lot more and that the outcomes of an early diagnosis are so good. You know, the, it's it's a tricky it's a tricky one, but I think when you put it like that, you just think, well, it's it's okay to to explore your body. It's okay to get to know yourself, and unless you're told that at a younger yeah. age, how are you to know? I think in you sharing that is so important. Thank you. Um, and and going back, I kind of want to flip the question about online sharing around to you because you obviously share a lot, and um, I feel like your book is kind of like your manifesto. It has like, it's like the guide to Chris in a way. I don't know if you would describe it as that, but how do you feel about your continual sharing of updates? And then of course there's that element of medical jargon where sometimes at least I felt personally discouraged because I was like, I can't explain to you guys adequately, like what the, what my medication Virzinio is doing to the cell cycle and how that affects reoccurrence rates based off of the monarchy study and like all this stupid shit that like, I'm like, do people even care? But also it's so relevant to my life. So in terms of either like enjoyment or obligation or everything in between, what is your experience with that? <laughs> I'm glad you've asked that. I, I am. And I, and I think firstly, I want to say to you, keep sharing because you've probably experienced this yourself that when you tell someone you've got breast cancer what they want to hear is that you're better now that you've got a good prognosis and that you're fine now that's all they really want to hear but you know so well that it's so much more complicated and complex than that and in sharing all those details around and I and I found it fascinating what you were saying about that drug that you're on because I don't know anyone else on it um about yeah shutting down certain things so that you have a less chance you know a lesser um chance of recurring at some point all that stuff is really important because life can't you want it to switch back on to the way it was before but it's it's not ever going to be the same again but that's not necessarily a bad thing the more you share about all those details the better but I think I'm really glad Mm -hmm. that you said that the book is a guide to Chris because I never wanted anyone to think that it was a guide to how to do breast cancer because I think it's such an individual thing. It's such a unique thing to you in the way that you are so unique in getting it at the age of 19. Like anything that happens here on out is not, it's it's so like, you could literally pick a, pick a, I don't know, a sweet jar, a sweet jar, full of sweet jar, full full of sweets and kind of go, what's going to happen next? Because it's so random, isn't it? It's just so random. Life is so random. And I think I personally get so much um, hope from that randomness because I think I don't need to worry about the what ifs because nothing is guaranteed. Me sharing what I did in the book was purely a way of getting one person's story out there so that at one point, you know, when, and that it was, I didn't realize how helpful it would be for me, but it, it was hugely healing for me to explore so many things about my diagnosis, who I was before cancer, who I am during cancer, who I want to be with cancer and getting that down was so great. And if it then benefits other people, that's a huge bonus, huge bonus. But 
yeah, my thought to you is keep sharing because they, you know, even if someone skim reads all the bits of the the medical side of things, I think it's still so important to add them in there because in a few years time, you'll be back and go, what was it that thing that I was on? And you, you know, I'm so glad you've written that down. I'm just blown away that you, you have that mind. And I, I don't know why I'm surprised, but you're so young <laughs> and I, and I, I know I've been frustrated over years. It's what people keep saying, but you're so young. How do you know this? And but I do want to ask you, like, where did all this – well, you're, you're an amazing writer. You look at things in a really fresh way. Um, you're quite profound, really, for someone your age. And I just wonder, where did that come from? Huh. I think it was equal parts of – I think I was born with um, a baseline that – is high in terms of optimism and resilience. And I think on top of that, I think it was like switched on in a way. When I was given that initial diagnosis, I have a journal entry from the plane ride home. And it was like, it was almost like a war cry, which is I think very common amongst, um, I don't know, in these types of experiences of like, all right, it's time to hunker down. Like it's fucking go mode. We're going to demolish. We're going to blah, 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 blah. Um, I think not as aggressive as that, but I think something switched on that went like less warlike because also I think there's nuance around, I mean, separate category, but talking about cancer in terms of with all this war and fight and, whatever language we surround with it. I think it's so fucking weird. Um, but um, I think something turned on that said, like, we're about to do this, Miranda. Like, let's just squeeze out every little drop that we can and not creating pressure around that. I don't think I ever was like, why don't I just become like this inspirational, profound thing? I think it was more like, Sorry, I'm not articulating this well because I honestly don't really know. I think one, I was born with half of it. And then two, it was born out of this experience in me learning how to navigate it. And a lot of that came out of just selfish therapeutic writing that felt really good to me. And it was really hard to make sense of things. And I still have not made sense of a percent of it. But in my attempt to do that, I'm glad some of it has come off as profound or resonated with other people. I think a cancer experience is one of the most human and simultaneously inhumane things that a person can go through. And so I think a lot of people find inspiration in it or profoundness in it because it taps into our core of, um, fight or flight, live or die. We're witnessing you opening up this exploration about what's happening to you. And it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing process. And um, no doubt you'll come up with more and more wisdom the, the more, the further you get from your diagnosis, but also the further you experience, the more you experience with it as well. And the, you know, whatever comes up next. I love what you have said in the past about strength can you define strength for me (laughs) I will define strength I think strength if you want to equate it um to this um strength is the way in which you glitter um I think strength is the way that we handle things, the way, yeah, really the way in which we glitter. Um, and I've previously written a lot about my, I've found a lot of misconceptions with people's ideology of strength and I think strength is mislabeled as, like I was talking about before, this 
this go, go, warlike, conquering, defeating. I mean, if you want to get like physical with it, built, muscular, robust, kind of masculine energy. And I think one of my most favorite kinds of strength is actually one that's a lot quieter and more subtle. And it's one that I have difficulty with. Um, And I naturally try to and default to displaying more outward forms of strength, um, which are normally validated and praised online. And it's so funny because my, my most authentic forms of strength are the types that nobody sees. And that's when I receive, no, that's a bad example. If I have a really hard day, I'm taking Brazinio, I wake up, I'm super fucking nauseous. I go to class, I literally shit my pants on the way there. I actually shit my pants because I can't keep my poop in these days. I'm not kidding. Mm -hmm. And then I go home, all right, this is getting weird, but I go home and instead of just like bucking up, my emotions are overwhelming me. So I just sob. I sob. I let my emotions through. It's so fucking uncomfortable. I don't want to do it. I hate it. I call my grandma. We talk for a little bit and then I pour myself a lemonade and I journal and I'm like, okay, Miranda, we're going to be fine. This is okay. Like typically I don't post those things like, oh, I just shit my pants, call my grandma, poured myself a lemonade, but that's probably one of my strongest days. Um, And that comes in a form of rawness and vulnerability and sometimes more quietness than we associate with strength. That's my rant. That's my two cents. I think that um, you should share when you've shot yourself, actually. I want I want a blow-by-blow blow account of your days when you are literally glittering an actual turd that is coming out of you. I've done it three times in the past six months. So. Oh, my God. That is awful. But the fact that you can see it as this huge day of overcoming something so awful really and um see it as such strength and you can see that in yourself is huge i i really want the people listening to to actually hear something that you wrote about and summed it up so well around strength because um it's it's one of the reasons i really wanted to talk to you actually you wrote that we are not strong for the shitty hands we are dealt We are strong for the ways in which we move and breathe and dance and share through our pain. So I think, you know, like you just said, in sharing through your pain, that's strength. It's not like, um, and I totally agree with what you've also said in the past around, we don't have some kind of choice in this. We don't have a choice to endure. We just endure. Yeah. I've been frustrated in the past with, people calling me strong right off the bat. That's where this little blurb of a blog stemmed out from was like, I was diagnosed and a day later, all the texts start flooding in. You're so strong. You're going to get through this. And I was like, what the fuck? So I I hesitate um, now using that word strong because I have such a tumultuous relationship with it. But um, in the definition that, you and I have provided or talked about on this podcast, I would say that you are very, very strong, Chris. And it is an honor to be on this podcast with you. <laughs> Touche, you are very strong too. And I think it's not it's not a bad thing that we have found our strengths in, in this way and that our strength has shone through because it has had to. But um, it's important for people to understand that it's often not a choice. Um, If you can hear a little tip-tapping away, tip-tip-tip-tip-tip-tapping, that is my cat walking on my wooden floor. Um, She's wearing these plastic caps on her claws at the moment to stop her from scratching herself. And it just sounds 
like some kind of beast walking around, but it's she's not. She wishes she was. Um, so apologies. Before we move on to like what glitter is for you, I also just want to talk about a little bit about this aftermath, this this time post cancer when everyone expects you to be fine again and switch back into oh you were Miranda you know the actress or whatever before are you you know and and they expect they have this expectation of who you're now going to be again and like I've said before like people love either a success story or they love drama but that in between stuff people can't really handle it's the the gentle overcoming constant overcoming that people really find much harder to connect with they need the big headlines to connect but if you're too lazy to connect in a deeper level then like you're like you say like get off my page because that's if you can't see who I am for everything else that I put out there then that's a problem that's a problem isn't it yeah and (laughs) I think that's where a lot of the draw comes to your page. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this of the, um, in the same way that I guess I have some sort of made up arbitrary end date to my medication taking. um, And that's where there's an expectation for there to be some sort of end. You experience a life living alongside cancer And do you feel that there are certain expectations that people have of of your life or of your narrative with cancer? And I mean, I could make any sort of assumptions, but I think the way in which you portray your life or assumed live your life is what kind of draws people in, in your active glittering. You know, I think I've kind of squashed a lot of the expectations from day one because I was so keen for people to understand that I could live with this disease so that's what I sort of got busy doing and um got busy starting the charity and go in a way going down the unconventional route well I felt it was unconventional to just jump in headfirst into a charity but that was uh, my coping that was my coping strategy but also in the same way you probably feel in getting this disease at such a young age, you're, you've already been unconventional about it from the very start. <laughs> you've already broken the mold in getting it at your age. And so you're going to break the mold going forward too. I just hope everyone else can feel that way too. I've, I've learned to not really listen to other people's expectations or really be guided by what everyone might think is going to happen next to me because I've already proven so many things to be wrong or incorrect so um like they'd have to have some really hard evidence of when I might die or when I might you know stop using this drug or whatever but apart from that there isn't there isn't anything else to go off just just trust me when I say I'm just getting on with living and that should be enough. But it, now that you are in this, I mean, you, you call it a leaky turd phase. So, you know, you've passed the main treatment and now you're on preventative treatment. Um, what expectations do you have on yourself? I read a lot during my active treatment phase and I read a lot of accounts of people who had gone through similar experiences and had spoken about this concept kind of of an aftermath. And I had heard, it was just like, I think I I was reading the wrong stuff and I eventually stopped either following or paying attention to this kind of stuff because it was a lot of people saying like, life after cancer is worse than when you're in it. Like everything is, is looming and catches up to you and it's harder than when you're in active treatment and all this stuff that I was like, Oh my God, I literally can't let this be. If there's, I can't let this be my story and I need to completely disassociate from what other people are projecting on 
life after cancer. And so I knew that it would be difficult in some ways. And so I think the knowing and then the actual like practicing of it being difficult is a different thing. So that's where I'm at right now is like, I knew that it wouldn't, my life wouldn't snap back to being perfect. I also knew that it wasn't going to be the worse than active treatment and life would suck for forever and everything that everyone else said. So it's kind of been like navigating where this middle ground is and how do I pave my own path. And I know that it's pretty fucking good most of the time. So I think that's what I'm eventually going to get back to in terms of consistency. But right now, you know, it's been difficult uh, processing a lot of what has happened, grappling with, trying to understand, and then like figuring out like how to, I feel like I've used this terminology a lot, but like how to integrate this experience into the larger picture that is my life. It's tough because there's a lot, when I talk about it being a leaky turd, I mean, the leakiness is like, the anxiety that I feel every night before I go to sleep. I I had like one bout last night, um, which kind of also speaks again to this concept of an aftermath in that um, I realized, so I go on, sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, but hang with me. Um, I go on my Snapchat one year ago memories. And during treatment, I would take photos of like me and my mom in the chemo suite or like, a picture of me eating cereal in the morning. And I'd be like, it'd be a picture of me and I have like half a head of hair. And the captions, me being like, what the fuck? Just lost my taste. Can't taste my morning cereal. WTF adriamycin, which is like the name of the chemo because it changes your taste buds. And I pull these up every day. So it links me back to one year ago and I see where I was. So I believe November 10th, five days ago, is when I had my double mastectomy a year ago. And I view this memory, it's me in a surgery bed. Then of course I have videos of me like sedated, like saying weird shit into my phone. And you know, I'm like, okay, what's the protocol here? Do I post the one year since my double mastectomy? And then I'm like, eh, don't feel like thinking about it today. Passed on. So I've I've missed. I've missed, I don't know why I use that word, but I've missed a lot of these anniversaries celebrating them publicly. And that feels good to me in the moment because I don't need to be tethered right now to like, um, or I don't need to be directly linked to this one year ago and just live through it again and do all that processing. That doesn't feel like the right time right now. But I had this moment of anxiety last night where I was like, oh my God, this is going to be so weird that like, if I, if I year three, am ready to publicly celebrate these anniversaries and I post three years out for my double mastectomy, nobody's going to fucking care because they're going to have forgotten that I had cancer and they're, they're going to not know about the fact that my heart, while I don't, some days want to be directly linked to it. My heart is now completely intertwined and tethered to this experience in a way that I will hold for my whole life. And it makes me emotional because it fucking sucks. And it's also beautiful and it sucks and it's beautiful and it sucks and it's beautiful. Um, But that's where the aftermath And a bit of my leaky anxiety comes in because I have this fear that people will forget that this is still what I hold close to me every day of my life. And I think a lot of people who have lost a loved one, especially deal with this concept of anniversaries and they feel like after X amount of years, people forget that they lost that person. Or in my case, sometimes I feel like I lost my old self. And God, I just want people to know and to remember, like, I don't ever, that loss sometimes, it doesn't really get easier. 
and it does in a way and edges of it soften, but it's still this goose egg and it's still this turd. And I just want to shake people sometimes and go, don't forget about me. Don't forget that my heart hurts like this. Um, and it's challenging. Yeah. I hope that it is in some way comforting for you to know or to hear from me. I mean, I don't know what weight that has, but the output, all the output that goes from your heart, from the words that you write for whatever your career looks like going forward is in part a result of what you have been through. And if only you know that you are the product of what that experience was, I hope that will be enough. And I think because the reason you have that anxiety, and I totally do too, because we live in this fucking social media world where we're like, yeah, but if I don't share this and I won't get the emotions from all these people and not all these people will be thinking about me right now. And right now I need all these people to think about my trauma. And that we're being led to believe that. But I think if we gain something from our own trauma, if the people in our lives, the ones that we really hold dear, gain something from our trauma or that we or gain from something from the output of something that we've learned from our trauma, that's the important thing. And that's what I've certainly learned. It's not about whether someone in 10 years' time will think of that. I mean, I cringe when I hear people um, tell me that they watched me win the Pride of Britain Award because I'm like, oh, God, no, that's awful because I was a different person then and ilk, that gross. And, um, and when I was reading your blog, because it's so brilliant, it's so brilliant, like when – like how you sign off your blog um i wrote down um i hope you may find solace healing comfort relatability rest and magic in my words for you to say that a year on after your diagnosis is already so brilliant like when i was writing my blog at the very beginning of my diagnosis i would sign it off peas and carrots chris and i'm like oh my god who is that girl i want to punch her in the face what the fuck I mean, if you laugh, if you cringe, if you are so delighted by what you are putting out there in 10 years' time or can go back and go or look at your Snapchat and go, fuck, she was cool or, God, why did I write that? I'm such a dick. Then that is, there's the joy. Yeah. What everyone else thinks or what everyone else knows is so irrelevant. Yeah. Um, I feel like we have been talking for a while and I'm sorry, I don't... I, I guess I want you to somehow tell me what the glitter is in all of this for you. The glitter is my, the glitter is always people for me. I find everyday glitter in justifying large purchases that shouldn't be made. Um, on clothing items that bring me joy. And that is fun because I was just talking to my mom yesterday and I said, mom, I bought many a clothes this week. I'm going to run out of money. And she was like, you're going to be fine. And you know what? If this past year and a half has taught us anything, sometimes you just need to say, fuck it and buy the dress. So that's just some pink glitter that I find all the time is um, in more like tangible things like that. It's just fun. No harm, really. But when it comes down to it, it's all people, people, people for me. Um, so that has been learning how to connect with and communicate with my family and friends in ways that are Oh, excruciatingly vulnerable and so brutally uncomfortable. But once you oh, put your arms down and say, here I am, mom, or here I am, friends, you get to see the rawest form of me. Oh, it's just so terrifying at first and then it's the most gratifying experience and so that's where I found my glitter and then of course connecting with so many 
minds that I just want to live in for a little bit of time. Um, this I feel so special that I get to be speaking with you today. And I also just want to say um, thank you for the the grace and the pace in which you've taken this episode. And I assume how you interact with those around you. It's something that's very unique. It's so special. And I felt very embraced and heard and loved today. So that it was, I just enjoyed recording this with you. Thank you so much for saying that. I really, really appreciate that. And then I just love, I love hearing people's stories. I love speaking to people. So this is an honor for me. Truly it is. It's, it's very special. I feel very lucky to be doing this and to connect with you in this way, you know, we we're millions of miles apart, but I think it's so nice for us to be able to connect in this way and for us to, and for me to like get down to the nitty gritty with you. (laughs) It's fun. think i might be chanting miranda's words it sucks and it's beautiful it sucks and it's beautiful it sucks and it's beautiful quite a few times this week um yeah i really love my chat with miranda um i enjoyed hearing about her experience of the aftermath and and how that translates for someone as young as her living with the perils of snapchat memories and things like that um also maybe guys we should all remember that if we're having a rough day uh, that someone somewhere might be literally shitting themselves um i mean it's just it's a turd in every sense of the word um and i also just want to repeat her amazing quote about strength because it is so brilliant we are not strong for the shitty hands we are dealt we are strong for the ways in which we move and breathe and dance and share through our pain um yeah i just think that's so brilliant Uh, Also, I just think it's worth me mentioning that um, because of what we discussed in today's episode um, and the diagnosis of breast cancer, if you have any worries or queries or thoughts or questions about breast cancer and the signs and symptoms, please go to the Copperfield website. That's copperfield.org. Yeah, it's got a plethora of information there. And, you know, if you have any worries about finding something or you found something, then it's got great advice there on what to do next. Um, Yeah, so... Thank you, Miranda, so much for your wisdom. Um, Thanks to Vicky for sharing your turd. And by the way, guys, if you want to share your turd glittering experience, please, you can do so by leaving us a voice note on the number, which is in the episode notes. Um, Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate you being here so much. Um, Have a good day. And I'll hopefully see you next time. Goodbye. (laughs)